Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Phil Craft Survival Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Killcliff.com, a natural energy drink that supports the Navy SEAL Foundation. That's all you got to know. Um, look, if you're looking for an energy drink that's a healthy alternative to the crap that's in the stores today, Killcliff is the energy drink for you. Pre-workout called Ignite. They even have the Endure, which is uh, sustaining the workout. And then they have the Recover, which is my favorite, on the back end, which has all the good stuff, the vitamin Bs, the electrolytes, um, all the things that you need without the garbage that you don't need. Also, I just mentioned it before, but Kill Cliff supports the Navy SEAL Foundation and also has offered up a coupon code SURVIVAL10, SURVIVAL10, to save 10% on checkout. And that's to all the listeners. Uh, make sure you check out killcliff.com, SURVIVAL10 on checkout to save 10%. Also, this podcast is brought to you by TriarchSystems.com. My favorite weapons company on the planet right now is Triarch Systems. Look, we run all their pistols, all their carbines. I'm going to even have them build a custom rifle rifle for me for hunting season this year. Um, All the aesthetics, they look good, but they also function, and they're super durable. Look, I've ran the 17 Charlie uh, Glock, a custom Triarch Systems Glock, at every training course that I've attended, I put thousands of rounds to that gun, and I can't say the same thing about all the custom guns that I've shot. In fact, some of the biggest manufacturers and the biggest custom manufacturers on the planet, I've run their guns into the dirt, and Triarch Systems gun hasn't failed yet. Triarch Systems is T-R-I-A-R-C systems.com. Use Philcraft on checkout to save 5% on any gun build. That's a big deal. 5% on any gun build on TriarchSystems.com representing the great old state of Texas. Uh, thanks to Triarch and a uh, big shout out to the guys at Triarch. Also, this podcast is, podcast is sponsored by Black Rifle Coffee Company. Uh, me and Evan go way back. Evan's a great dude doing great things with Black Rifle Coffee. Look, they're just not making the best coffee on the planet, but they're also doing so much more. Swag, equipment, Philanthropy. I mean, these guys do it all. BlackRifleCoffee.com. Make sure you use Philcraft20. That's 20%. Philcraft20 at checkout to save 20% on any of any of the stuff they have in the store, including swag and coffee. My favorite coffee is that Black Chinook. Uh, also, this podcast is tied into uh, Janelle Law Firm. That's J-U-N-E-L-L Law Firm. Look, all active or retired military were you diagnosed with tinnitus or hearing loss after using 3M's dual-ended earplugs? Look, I'm a part of this uh, this class action lawsuit. This company uh, was distributing, 3M was distributing yellow and black or yellow and olive ear protection. They were often called Christmas lights. Instead of protecting your hearing, they actually permitted damaging sounds to get through. If you were issued these earplugs while in service and they diagnosed you with tinnitus or hearing loss, Call 1-800-560-0038 because you may qualify for significant cash compensation. Again, if you serve in the military, were issued 3M's dual-ended yellow and dark earplugs and were later diagnosed with hearing loss or tinnitus, then call 1-800-560-0038 right now to see if you qualify for cash compensation. I'm in this. I, I get disability for tinnitus and hearing loss. And I put these things in my ears. I remember running and gunning in Iraq, uh, doing training, doing combat operations with these in my ears. And they always sucked because they you put them in your ear and they they hurt your ears. 
but the fact that they allowed and permitted damaging sounds to get through and they didn't divulge it is a huge issue. So please get on this bandwagon. 3M knew of the defects but failed to warn anyone about them. A whistleblower lawsuit that 3M quietly settled made the case that 3M manipulated test results to make it appear as if the plugs met government standards, but they didn't. So if you're in the military any time between the years 2003 through 2015 and are now suffering from diagnosed hearing loss of tinnitus, then again, please call 1-800-560-0038. This lawsuit is against 3M, not the government or mill, so your benefits with the VA will not be affected. Again, the number is one 800 560 On the podcast, we had the opportunity to catch up with Chad Robichaud of Mighty Oaks Foundation. Look, Chad's a f- former force recon, uh, worked with Joint Special Operations Command, professional fighter, done a whole bunch of great stuff and uh, taking care of other people, especially veterans suffering from post-traumatic stress. And his program with Mighty Oaks, it's a substantial and comprehensive program. Uh, always excited to catch up with uh, Chad Robichaud, so let's kick it off. Chad, what's going on, man? What's up, man? Welcome back. Yeah, it's awesome to be back. Yeah, well, welcome back to the podcast, but also welcome back to uh, Welcome Home, because you've been gone for a while, right? Yeah. I think last time I, well, last time you've been on the podcast, you've been all over the world, essentially. Yeah, all yeah. over, uh, you know, traveling a lot, uh, you know, from Mighty Oaks and speaking on bases and and then just, re- you know, going out and spreading the message from Mighty Oaks and um, and trying to reach a warrior community. Yeah, I know you were in um, Washington, D.C. meeting with, uh, did you go to the Pentagon? Yeah, the Pentagon, uh, we met with uh, uh, Commandant the Marine Corps, who yeah. just, just retired last week, General Neller, and then Sergeant Major Green, Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps, so just awesome uh, advocates for what we do and and make what we do in, within the Marine Corps possible. So they've been great friends and supporters over the years. That's awesome. And how how that trip go? How was it productive for spreading the message? And you did some speaking engagements as well, right? Yeah, I mean, I do a lot of speaking engagements throughout. I'm going to be doing um, uh, event at the Pentagon. Uh, I think during the transition to the new sergeant major of the Marine Corps, uh, there's a, like a sergeant major PME, and they invite all the sergeant majors from the Marine Corps to come in. And the sergeant major has like the symposium for a week, so we're going to get to speak at that to and just really talk about um, resiliency, combat resiliency, combat readiness, and uh, the pillars of resiliency, you know, mind, body, spirit, social, um, those different pillars of resiliency and, and how to, you know, help help give the Marine Corps guidance from our perspective of, of resiliency because we're working with so many guys on the back end, so we see what it is that, you know, eats guys up and, and where the wheels fly off for guys, so we're able to kind of move left of, you know, people's the crisis in people's lives and look at the things that they can prepare for in advance to make them combat ready resilient warriors so they could continue to do their job or or in some you know many cases eventually for everyone transition into normal life yeah that's uh, i just it just occurred to me because you you know you're doing all these things with mighty oaks which is uh helping veterans who are suffering from from any kind of issue that's related to their time in service or time at war and What's unique is like when you're in the military, you're doing your thing and you're kind of insulated, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're insulated and you're around like-minded people. So it's hard to get perspective, but also when you're in it, it's really not an issue. And so everybody thinks they're resilient when they're in it. You know, everybody yeah. thinks they're, they have the, the, uh, the proper mindset, but then when they are displaced from that, you are like a mindset consultant for the Marine Corps. Well, I mean, for really for everybody, but cause you see, um, you know, the most resilient people and the most resilient units 
but then you see them after the fact, and, yeah. and that's changed. So, and you mentioned pillars of resiliency. Can you talk about kind of like what Mighty Oaks is doing in mindset, and then how that ties back into uh, military service and how you're a consultant for those guys? Yeah, I mean, uh, all, all branches have. It used to be you, know, when you and I came up. You heard you know, mind, body, spirit. You know, being being mentally tough, being physically tough, being spiritually tough. The, they've added a fourth pillar. All the branches pretty much have it. So, uh, uh, social, which means just being around the right network of people, the brotherhood is what it means. So, you know, we are able to, to work. We have our legacy program, which helps people who are dealing with combat trauma, PTSD, suicide ideations, getting in trouble because of erratic behaviors. Um, and so we see the aftermath in those legacy programs that we run. We run 30 of those a year. They're one week long. And uh, this is where we see guys who are, you know, operating at, isolated environment that silo like you, you and i you know we're in where where you just uh it's really hard to see even imagine you're gonna have problems because you're just you're just mission focused you're doing your job you're surrounded by your brothers and but then when that pace slows down and you're not in that in that on that mission focus anymore uh, these things start creeping up and it i mean i would have never thought it would happen to me and i've talked to you know, guys from you know, from aviators to infantrymen to you know dev group operators with you know 20 deployments and they you know these guys would never thought anything like that would ever happen to them and then one day they're you know they're dealing with anxiety they're dealing with overwhelming fear they're dealing with panic they have frustration in their life they can't reintegrate to simple civilian jobs their family is falling apart all these issues uh, come creeping up and they and they're looking for an answer and so one we what we realize is the the principles and, and methodologies we use at Mighty Oaks in our legacy program to help people align their lives and calibrate their lives uh, have been very successful. So we thought, hey, if we take these things and put them on the front end as resiliency um, tools, then we could help people to be more combat ready and uh, more resilient warriors and able to continue on doing their jobs. And when they reintegrate, they'll, they'll know where to, you know, where to keep calibrating their lives to. And, uh, and you know, our methodology is not anything unique uh, to what the military aims for. And those pillars of resiliency that the military talks about, they are, in fact, uh, effective. But I think many people in the military, including military leaders, toss those words around, but they don't really understand what, they, what it means, like being mentally tough, uh, being physically tough. Those are the areas that I think military kind of focus on. You know, I know my job really well. I mentally know my job. I'm mentally I'm motivated. I'm mentally, uh, like, tough like mental toughness all those things i think military members have the physical attributes whether you're turning a wrench or shooting a gun like having those physical skills to do your job and being physically fit and taking care of your body but the social network i think people don't often understand the right social networks what that actually means it's not just you know the guy that could you know do this job really well to the left and right of you but it's also the people you need in the good times the people you need around you in the bad times having those people in your life before you need them having those right people in your life. And then the spiritual aspect means a lot to different people. I mean, people that know me know I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Christian and my faith is like a really big part of my own recovery. And, uh, but having something bigger than yourself to align to, I think is, you know, in broad spectrum, what spirituality really means. And when, you know, when, if you don't have something bigger than yourself to attach to, and, and for me, it's my faith. Like when you get in a dark place, you feel very alone and isolated. So just understanding those, helping the military understand those principles, what they mean on a very practical level. And we do this through a peer-to-peer model um, where we, in our recovery program, we have people come in who have experiences like us, have fallen on their face, but have gotten back up to share their story and how they 
recalibrate their life with some of these principles and then going in the front end to these younger warriors pre-deploying units and saying hey th- i've been there i've experienced th- you know the hardships of combat and uh these are some of the things that i, I wish i would have had in my life in advance so i wouldn't have went off the rails or even some of our team members have you know had pretty solid lives and these principles in place and went through combat and were able to just walk away you know pretty much unaffected mm. and so I think you know, we really have some great opportunities to do that. I go to Marine Corps boot camp every quarter for the last four years now. And I speak to, it went to where I was just doing the uh, spiritual resiliency. I was just talking to the faith-based recruits. And now I speak to all of them. So I speak to 100% of recruits uh, at Marine Corps boot camp San Diego every quarter. And uh, about 3,000 of them at a time. Um, and I do a lot of, I do about 30 different units a year where I go, um, right now where I'm going to speak to different units uh, coming up. Eighth Marines is about to deploy um, there. So their BLT battalion landing team is about 1500 Marines. And, uh, so I'm doing a resiliency workshop before they deploy, uh, here this month, I'm going to Marsoc Marine special operations command, speaking to the, all the critical skills operators there on resiliency. And, I, you know, like I said, I do, I do that about 30 times a year. And then our recovery programs, we do about 30 of those a year as well. And your own son is, he's actually deployed right now, right? Yeah. Hunter is, uh, he's Anglico Marine, uh, air naval gunfires liaison company as a forward air controller and, and a fire support coordinator. And he's out there, uh, uh, supporting the Georgians. So he's embedded with the Georgians and they're out patrolling, you know, every, pretty much every day, every night they're out there. Uh, and it's, uh, that's kind of a crazy thing for me. You know, after going to Afghanistan eight times, you think you would never think your kid is going to go yeah, there. Yeah. And so we've been there a long time, 20, almost 20 years now. And, uh, yeah. and it so hasn't gotten less dangerous. I mean, that's the reality of it. I mean, no, no. I mean, uh, I mean, we have less of a, you know, of, of a military force there. We're there in, you know, support and advisory capacity, which, you know, I was been doing a lot of like media on that topic. If we belong there, if we don't belong there, I, I believe, you know, I personally believe that from a military strategy, we still should keep a presence there. Um, just from a strategic position for uh if, if anything rises up we have the indefinitely like germany or korea or what do you think yeah i mean i don't know because it's hard to predict what's going to happen in the world but at least right now if i could say right now or in the uh you know immediate future it's pretty need, unstable right it's, now. it's still yeah. unstable and we need a we need a presence there so we could do it we could have a quick reaction force for anything that rises up and we need to still support and advise uh i mean hey the jordans are jordans are out there patrolling and doing presence patrols for um the ana's uh, afghan national army is out doing these things and and they still need guidance and support and i think in that capacity uh, i don't think in a conventional pass capacity we belong there to lead run the show but in the capacity to support and advise he, i mean you know i wish my son wasn't there as a dad but as an american um you know i'm glad we we're there to support and um and keep the fight over there instead of here. Yeah, you know, um, when I think about mindset and how it's integrated in the military, I remember, uh, I can't remember the CSM who was in SOCOM. He was a SOCOM CSM, but he used to be in a special mission unit and used to SOC and everything else. But there was this all this talk about red, amber, green, and giving guys downtime and, you know, finding the balance. And when he took over, I remember hearing a lot of talk, but but execution-wise – there was no balance. Nothing really changed. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about mindset and how it's taught or resiliency, how it's taught, is the Marine Corps actually implementing these courses or these classes or the, like a process as opposed to just talking points like values that are on your dog tags? As, you yeah. Know? And that's the problem. And you're exactly right. And, uh, and I think that's what 
we at, when I say we, Mighty Oaks, I mean our team and what we've brought to the table and why there's been a demand for what we do because we bring it on a very practical peer level from peer to peer, warrior to warrior on a practical level because historically these words, mind, body, spirit, honor, courage, commitments, they're, they're hollow. And uh, I hate saying that because I love the military, I love the Marine Corps, uh, I love all warriors, but the truth is those words get thrown around a lot, but they mean absolutely nothing uh, most of the times. They're just hollow words that are put in a PME, check in a, check in a box. Yep. Hey, we did, our, we, did our, uh, you know, we did our we did our due diligence to give this period of instruction. Everyone is sitting there rolling their eyes or falling asleep and just looking at their watch, getting through it. But they don't really mean anything. And so since they just breeze through those things, when the time comes to where we need to know what these words mean and how to implement it in our lives as warriors, that's not happening. And, uh, and so this is one of the unique things that, you know, we at, at Mighty Oaks, our team wants to bring to the table is understanding what these words mean, how to live them out, how to implement them in our life as warriors uh, while we're serving and then after we're serving. And uh, because those words are, you know, those words – to me, like honor, courage, commitments, those, those are words that should make the hair in the back of your neck stand up. But uh, what's the point if they don't really mean anything? Yeah, life, that's a good you know? point. That's a great point. I, 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 uh, I hope that every service, because I, you know, I hear you working with the Marine Corps a lot, and I, I just don't, I've never hear of people working with the Army at all. I mean, a little bit, but I, I just think about BASIC and AIT and the opportunities of speaking to units that are deploying. I mean, I'm glad the Marine Corps is on board and that you guys are tied into that. Is there any future with other military branches? I do a lot with the Air Force right now. I probably, I probably do about, uh, of those 30 um, active duty units I do a year, about six or seven of those uh, this year for me was, was Air Force. Um, one, Army. Uh, the Army's so big and it's, it's, uh, the continuity seems just uh, – it's the turnovers and stuff like that it's very it's hard insane. to maintain hard. relationships yeah. it like is. it is with the marine corps for for me and not just because i came from the marine corps it's just because the turnover the turnover just seems very difficult to maintain continuity in the relationships that we've developed so that's actually been a challenging thing for us but we uh i mean we're not we love the marine corps but we're not uh, favorable to the marine corps we want to serve as many people as we could serve so any army commanders listening out there we do these events we travel we cover our costs and how we, does we'll how does us. uh how does somebody get in talk, contact with you guys to line something up? Well, we have a, on our Mighty, MightyOaksPrograms.org is our website, and there's a speakers page, and you just put in a request there, and and um, and we'll get on we'll get on the schedule. Either myself or some of our, one of our team members will work through who you guys want there, and we'll go there and do it. We'll present. We do topics on resiliency. Um, we for the chaplaincy, we do spiritual resiliency events. We do resi- combat resiliency events for and kind of the broad spectrum of all warriors. And then we do uh, a lot of classes. If you need a PME on PTSD, we have an amazing, amazing perspective on post traumatic. PME stress. stands for uh, prim- primary military education. Yeah, I think primary military education. So it's yeah, PME is like a maybe a Marine Corps term. Is it army term too? I, I don't think I've so heard of that. Yeah, it's like a required block of instruction. So yeah. like so like every year you'd have to get a class on suicide awareness or yeah. uh, sexual harassment. These are like in the Marine Corps, these are PMEs. So mm-hmm. they, they required uh, that they give these every year. And so they have to give them anyway. And so instead of having some, you know, no, no offense to the frozen family readiness officers, like some, you know, key spouse coming in and giving a class on suicide prevention because they're just trying to fill in a block. Let us bring in one of our guys who we, we highly train our guys. We have great perspective. All of our guys are, are combat veterans who, uh, who have been trained to prevent, present these kind of uh, topics and it's and because we're combat veterans we able to get the attention of these guys and they're not sitting there staring at their watch or rolling their eyes they're hearing a story of a warrior who came who had been there came through the other side and, and has a 
has great perspective. And so the instead of just kind of going through emotions, we're able to get the, the attention of the warriors and, and pass on some valuable information. Yeah, it's important. I think that perspective is key. Like if, you know, when people share their experiences and give some kind of context behind these ethos or the values or the resiliency that we're talking about, that's, that's where you get them. And even if it's, you know, even if they just capture that person's attention for a moment and, and it lets them think because you planted the seed, that's, yeah. that's important for their career. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I'm not naive to think that I'm going to go at a you know Marine Corps boot camp and they, and those guys are going to walk away and take every every life principle I give them and walk away and their lives can be transformed. But when they when they hit a a dark valley in their life, I believe that they're going to look back and say, "I remember when that guy said, yeah, one hundred percent this principle," and uh, and you know they'll be able to glean back on that knowledge. Yeah, we're t- and and the what people don't understand is we're talking about kids and not only kids that aren't prepared for combat or the military but maybe not even prepared for life yeah yeah i mean i I mean some of these kids i mean there's people join the military for different reasons but a lot of people join the military because they they're looking for guidance they're looking for discipline they're looking for leadership and uh yeah they're looking for how to become become men yeah and so you know there's only so much a drill instructor they could they could teach i believe you know marine corps drill instructors and army uh, drill sergeants, I believe they could do a great job of teaching people how to be Marines, teaching people how to be soldiers. But to teach people how to be men uh, requires peer-to-peer mentorship and, uh, and, and sharing from a transparent and vulnerable position, sharing yeah. life experiences. You're not going to get a lot of empathy from a DI. No, he's not going to tell yeah. you about his hardships of his life and his struggles and how he overcame them. That's not his job. But, uh, but you know, for me in the position I'm in right now, that's my job. And yeah. I, and I, and I take that mantle very seriously. And I'm just, uh, really thankful with the opportunities the military gives me to go and, and give these principles to our next generation of warriors, because, you know, we've been at war 20 years and, and, uh, somebody needs to be passing these lessons on to them. And so I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to do that. Um, we were talking about before the podcast, we're talking about this Portland situation with Antifa. And you know this is a couple of weeks old. I think it happened a couple, uh, almost uh, three weeks now. But this guy Andy Nyo, it's silent. It's like NGO. He's a Vietnamese gay guy, openly gay guy, who was beat by Antifa, and he 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 considers himself center right. So he's more conservative, obviously. But uh, he went to this rally between um, a conservative group and Antifa, and wanted up get getting caught in the middle. They jumped him. They stole his camera. They beat him. Uh, they left him with um, list of a, felonies. <laughs> a list of felonies, and you know the the governor or the mayor of Portland caught a lot of media attention. Thank goodness, at some point, not from he's, CNN. He's, he's sanctioned them to go there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he yeah. he supported them going yeah. there. Yeah. They showed up with ski masks. They showed up with backpacks full of uh, equipment to beat other people, including crowbars, including mace. Um, and it's just not throwing shakes at people, which I think is wrong uh, from the get go. If you what, throw, if you hit me in the face with a shake, I'm going to beat your ass. And well, so, did you hear? Do you hear why they're throwing the milkshakes? Mm. It's they're they're using milkshakes not because it just they have a milkshake and they happen to just have one oh, hand to throw it. Their vision. It's yeah, it, it blurs your vision because it's thick. It blurs your vision. Up, and it yeah. comes somebody comes from behind you, hits you in the head with a crowbar. Yeah, it's this is a you know. I'll, I'll let you go ahead and I'll give you my opinion. Well, I, I you know Antifa. One is our violent actors. You know, there's there's a there's a period of time and periods of time that we've gone through like these uprisings of, and you know, Antifa is anti-fascist. But you look <laughs> at the definition of fascism and what they're doing, 
they it's are fascism. literally is <laughs> <they're> <laughs> fascist. I, 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 I think of that name and it's like, yeah. man, how ironic of a name for them because that's exactly what they're doing. They're silencing a group of people, which is fascism. And they're screaming fascism to the, the people that are trying to have a voice as well. Yeah, and they're calling, I mean, they're calling this Vietnamese guy a white supremacist, alt-right figure, fascist figure. Yeah. He's gay, he's Vietnamese, and he's a little... A little conservative dude. He's a journalist, number one, yeah. and they beat him, and then uh, the mayor really doesn't do anything about it. It becomes national media because the right media uh, and the more conservative media came out and was like, what is the deal with this? And the people on social media stood behind them. But Don Lemon, all these guys, uh, what's his name, Cuomo, um, on CNN supported Antifa. They sure. were all about supporting Antifa. What, yeah. what, what's your opinion on Antifa? Well, as an organization, well, as an organization, they're a domestic terrorist group, and the, and the president and the administration needs to rapidly uh, designate them as a domestic terrorist group. Uh, one, because they are uh, by nef- by definition mm-hmm. committing acts of violence and terror and terrorizing the American people. So, by definition, they are, and and because of that, they need to be classified as such. And, and secondly, if the Amer- if the government does not step in and do something, someone else will. And it's going to be violent because let's face it, these guys are a bunch of, uh, you know, nerds that are living in their mom's basement, putting a face mask on and, and think and acting tough and picking on people like this journalist and old, old men and, and women. And that's who they're picking on when someone rises up. Cause when this is unchecked and, and, and the government does not step in and this is in the, and the police aren't equipped to treat them as a domestic terrorist group and another organization rises up, it's not going to be an equal level. Yeah. It's going to be a bunch of you know, red-blooded, patriotic Americans, some country boys with, with yeah. gunfighters. It, and it's going to be ugly, man, and people are going to really get hurt. And so for their own safety, some, the government needs to do something about it, and they need to be designated as exactly what they are, and as domestic terrorists. What, I mean, besides the, the political agendas, why do you think mayors like Portland, which I didn't realize it until I did some research on it, he's actually the acting uh, police commissioner for uh, the law enforcement agency there. Hence, one of the reasons why he was able to, to stand them down and you know suppress them from doing their job. Uh, and then the chief came out vocally saying that our hands are tied. And so, you know, what do you think one of his... Why, is he, why would he do something like that to hold these guys on a pedestal and then suppress law enforcement from doing their job? Because he agrees with them. I mean, he, he, he agrees with their political views. Um, you know, he's... He, he, he's just, I mean, all, all these people that are supporting them, it's not because they're, they're picking a political side. It's they agree, they believe in, the, in this uh, agenda. This, I mean, look, when you're looking at a 2020 election, you're not talking about Republicans versus Democrats anymore. That's out the window. There's no Republicans versus Democrats. It's, it's freedom versus tyranny. That's what you're voting for uh, when you go to the polls uh, in 2020 for when you're talking about electing your know, Congress, Congress members and, and the president. You're, you're not voting Democrat or Republican. It's freedom versus tyranny. And these people are siding on tyranny, socialism agenda. Um, and, uh, you know, they're globalists. They don't care about a country. And, uh, and they don't care about you know, the cost of American citizens are having to pay like this, this journalist they got, I mean, there was also this journalist in that incident. There was multiple people injured. There was an old man that was beaten the head with a crowbar in an emergency room. I mean, no one's been prosecuted for any of these things yet. I saw that, uh, AOC, you know, she's, it's been highly controversial, but she's coming out saying that, uh, uh, Trump's administration, uh, handling the border situation 
is literally standing up concentration camps on the border of Mexico, and, and the Trump administration is running those um, enslavement camps and concentration camps with minorities. And I know you just told me there was a story of uh, one of these camps where they rose a Mexican flag or something like that. Yeah. So, uh, um, well, first, so her her rhetoric and and they attack the president about his rhetoric and yeah. say that you know words have consequences and you need to be responsible for your words and you know all this attack with the president with this, uh, you know, in, in the things that he says, but. There was just a guy that you know firebombed and came with an armed armed person with a fire that firebomb. His manifesto talked was quoting Cortez about concentration camps, and ultimately the federal officers killed this man. So talking about words mattering, uh, her oh, saying yeah. these lies and these these things that are blatantly untrue uh, for her own own political agenda. Yep. It cost that. I mean, she should be responsible for this guy's life. I mean, yeah. you and I. I mean, you know, you're you're a private business owner, but. You know, I work for an organization. If I lie, I'm going to get fired from yeah. my job. Most people lie at their job. They're going to get fired. She's there's a congresswoman. Yeah, yeah. Consequence. She's a congresswoman saying these things. And uh, and there's no consequence. She can say whatever she wants. I mean, and, you know, now this guy acts on the words she says because he believes that there's really concentration camps. Maybe he's mentally unstable or whatever. whatever. Or he doesn't have the aptitude, says. yeah. Yeah, he goes there with a rifle to ICE facility starts throwing firebombs and he has to and he loses his life she's responsible for that yeah and uh there should be consequences and then and then you know she's saying these things and they go to an ice facility to your question she goes to they go to ice facility and and uh you know large mob of, of protesters tear down the american flag and raise the mexican flag and in the, her defense is these are asylum seekers Asylum seekers don't tear down a nation's flag and yeah. raise up the flag from the country they came from. They're not see- if they're if that they want a Mexican flag. There's a flag already being flown. A Mexican in their own flag. Yeah, it's a fl- Mexican flag being flown. It's in Mexico. Go back that way. Form the line the other yeah. direction. I mean, uh, it's just lunacy and and you know this idea. First of all, you know, and you and I talked about this before the show. I'm a. I know a lot of veterans would disagree with me. They'd say, "Hey, burning a flag is a right that we fought for, and people could." They exercise their freedom to do that as a freedom of speech. I, I, I personally don't believe it's freedom of speech. I believe it's a it's a the symbol of our of our nation, and there should be some type of laws uh, protecting the symbol of our nation. Uh, while I know people don't agree with me, I, I would say that for their own safety because someone like me or you sees someone, I don't know what I'd do. I mean, I, I think about it all the time. I, I pray. I'm like God. Please do not let me interact with someone burning that flag because I, you know, I just don't know what I do. And, uh, and, and I think a lot of people are that way. I mean, you see violent acts. I mean, you're, it's inciting violence when you burn an American flag. So I believe personally there should be some law or, you know, fine for burning the flag. Despite my personal opinion on that, you cannot go on someone else's property, a government facility, and tear down their property and not be responsible for that. You just can't do that. It's, yeah. I mean, it's somebody's personal property and it's the government's property. And so... You know, for these people to think that they could do this and somehow it's going to help immigration. There are real people that are trying to get in our country that need to get in our country. And all this is doing is stopping the legal process to say that we're not a country that is compassionate and open and has open policy is a lie for. First of all, this year, while President Trump's in administration in years past for over over, you know, decades We've been the number one country of immigrants in the world. We lead, we, we're the leader in the world for immigration. No one else is even close. Germany's uh, a second, but it's a far second. And third, UK is like a very, very far third place. So to say we're not compassionate, to say we don't let people in our country is just not true. Uh, we do. 
the if someone's seeking asylum, asylum, we have a process for it. You go to port of entry and you claim asylum. You don't sneak across with a coyote and you know through the bushes, and then when you get caught, you know claim claim asylum. This just didn't work that way. Yeah, I, I, on the desecration thing, it's like there should be a consequence, right, for inciting violence. I mean, if if you could burn Bibles and incite terrorism, um, or there there's some obvious consequences to doing something like that. I just don't get the one. It's when you're burning uh, something in public spaces, that's arson, right? If you take yeah. anything and you light it on fire and you're inciting, you're trying to get a reaction, obviously. Right. And it's an expression. Um, yeah, you're, it, you're it, definitely inciting something. I yeah. mean, and for the police officers listening, kind of a loophole for you. It's illegal to light a fire in public without a permit. So yeah. if you want to drag somebody to jail. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you should be able to. I, I agree completely because there has to be a limit on on the consequences of exp- of expression, right? Because I can't just get, I can't, a female, which I partly agree w- with some of the f- uh, feminist movements on females not being able to ex- expose themselves or take off their shirts. It's like when you go to Spain and Europe and the rest of the world, yeah. there's topless beaches and people don't freak out because it's not taboo. But if you go here, then it's taboo. And so women to protest take off their shirts, but then they get arrested for indecent right. exposure. But if you're an American, you could rip down a flag and burn it in the middle of a parking lot, and there's zero consequence to yeah. that at all. And then, obviously, on the Antifa thing, it's it's insane to me that, one, it's legal and allowed for people to show up to a protest wearing a ski mask. Yeah. I mean, it, you can't just walk into a store with a ski mask. No. I mean, you could be asked to leave because of the, uh, the domicile restriction. They could say, we could refuse anybody... Uh, for business here in our personal business in a public area your job is to protect as a as a diplomat as a, a governor a mayor as somebody in a higher position of authority your job is number one to protect the innocence of people and they just let these people come in with backpacks yeah and then they let them beat people and then say that they, they can't get involved and so I actually think this guy Andy Nyo, he's supposed to be suing these guys and he has a great case for suing them for dereliction of duty. I yeah. mean, they're literally not doing their jobs, and they're neglecting their duty to protect the innocent. It's crazy to me that um, that's allowed. Yeah. Um, you just came back from. I saw. I was watching your feeds on the. I saw the wind tunnel going on yeah. in, in Yuma. How was that? You, well, number one, why did you go down to uh, to uh, Tucson to go to the uh, Marine Corps? Yeah, I went spoke to Eighth Marines. Uh, the air wing down there is a Marine Corps air wing in, in Yuma. And so I did a speaking event to the, for the Marines there. Um, um, man, it's just awesome command. They've sent a lot of guy, uh, their warriors down to Mighty Oaks programming. And, and so it's really cool to go down and talk to those Marines about resiliency. And then I spoke at a church, uh, the Rock Church in, in, in Yuma. I did a men's event. But, um, you know, I had to stop by and speak to the staff of uh, a free fall school. And it was, it was really cool. We went and, um, to, by the way, they... Yeah, I think maybe when you went through, there wasn't a wind tunnel down there. I, when I went through in 99, the wind tunnel was in Fort Bragg. That's where mine was, too. Yeah. They hadn't built it yet. Yeah, so you did the, the packing and wind tunnel down in Fort Bragg, and then you flew to Yuma and did all the jumps. And so I went to see the new wind tunnel. I went to talk to the staff about Mighty Oaks, and uh, it was really cool. They have um, The Marine Corps has their own free fall school now, and so does the SEALs. Uh, but this Army, uh, Army military free fall school is down there. But there were set, seven uh, instructors from the Marine Corps, seven billets uh, for Marines to mostly rec- i think all, they were all recon marines down teaching there and so i was able to see some of those guys and we were in the wind tunnel they were like hey what, what year did you come through and 
and I age myself saying that, but I went through, <laughs> I went through in 1999. So it was 20 years ago and that I went through the free fall school and they said, Hey, all the plaques from, uh, from 1993 up are still on the wall. And what was your, what was your class plaque? And I thought for a second, and I never thought about it since, but I was like a toilet seat. <laughs> Really? <laughs> and they start, la- they start laughing at toilet seat. And they're like, wait, one of the guys like, wait, we actually have a toilet was seat. Was it mounted on the wall? On the wall? It was mounted on oh, the that's wall. That's so awesome. And so we went into to the, para- the loft where you do all the packing. And and uh, it was really cool. I walked in and right there, I was like, oh, it's cool. My- there's my locker that I had my locker. That's and then so I see crazy. the toilet seat hanging on the wall. And so I come up and took a picture. I have it on my social media feed and took a picture with this wooden toilet seat that says, we are the shit. That's awesome. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty clever. That's cool. That's so awesome. <laughs> and then I, you know, my, I went and looked at my name on the plaque and my name. And I noticed right above my name, I just didn't even click until I seen it in my my brother, uh, Robert Cottle, who we went to free fall school together. He was, yeah. he was at a, a Force Recon Marine. Yeah, actually was a sergeant major when he was killed in Iraq. And, oh, wow. And uh, yeah, so uh, I saw his name on, on there. So That's crazy. Proud to yeah. him. Well, it's, you think about all the... <laughs> The guys in special operations who funnel through that course. It's, yeah. like a, it's really cool about that course is depending on what year or how it works out, you can go late in your career or just starting your special operations career, but it's like a, a reunion of yeah. all these different services. My, my instructor that flew with me was a force recon Marine. And then Jason swore, I don't know if you know who Jason swore is, but he was my, he was a generation kill guy. So he okay. was in that platoon that invaded uh, Iraq um, but he was my video guy that okay. was recording, and he's he's with skill set now. But Jason, big shout out to Jason Swore. What's up, man? Did you do you um, guys have the banana yellow yellow jumpsuits? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. They have cool suits now. They have like they have like really they have like man, it's like I'm like you're not degraded to be here. <laughs> really? So, yeah, we had to wear those. What do they wear? What are they wearing? Well, they had in the wind tunnel. They had these like red ones with a uh, with all the handles for the instructors to grab them and control them. Yeah, and yeah. When they jump, they have a similar one, but it's, it's bright orange, but it's, it has all the handles and stuff. Oh, that's cool. Right, so it's really cool. I mean, you know, the students we had like some. The yellow ones were like uh, they're like they, mechanic. Mecha- suits. Yeah, I was, I was thinking for the word. They're like yeah. mechanic suits and just tons of drag. There's yeah. no, nothing high speed about those. <laughs> no, suits. and you got a bike, a Protect bicycle helmet. Yeah, are they are they doing ops cores now for uh, all the the students still? Uh, yeah, so they, they had a high cut helmet. I don't know what ops cores are, but they had high cut helmets, and they actually even in the wind tunnel they had to, their uh, mock, but they were the MVGs. On oh, their, okay. So they're actually jumping with MVGs. Get used doing, to wearing the yeah, MVGs, and they're doing the night jumps with MVGs. Which what? We didn't do, yeah, it's really cool. They're that would have been a nice when we went through. Oh, and this this was the first class, and and I, I know this isn't like any opsec to to t- say this, but this is the first class they were actually doing BOC bottom of container deployments uh so the guys specific guys are going to units that jumped uh bottom of container deployments the boc they were actually uh certifying those guys there at school yeah so the marines you guys jump in nps and they they do it's bottom of the container yeah right? yeah marines are bottom of the container that's good man i always thought the army was behind for with a i think it was mc4 but our shoots were so they're just beat up and just i mean they were just jacked up and then pulling the handle but yeah, the fact that the you guys could rig and then jump static line hey ho, yeah, where you came out in a perfect formation, yeah. always impressed me. Yeah, we could we'd roll at twenty five thousand feet and do a static line hey ho. Even even free fall jumpers would do it, you know. And uh, and uh, I mean, but because it just creates a perfect formation, you're right, and you're right in a stack right out the right out the, the aircraft. Yeah, I, I think the army thought it was too cool. Like we were too cool to. <laughs> We wanted to jump out and get staggered and, and do the out 1,000, turn 1,000, pull 1,000. Yeah. But it never worked out. 
And then yeah. your stack's all jacked up. And then if you're trying to lead the stack, you have to, it's all jacked up. I mean, free fall always is cooler, but yeah. Uh, but, yeah. but I mean, if you're, if you're doing it for, you know, trying to be, you know, mission efficient, then a uh, static line hail is the way to go. Yeah. 100%. Jump, yeah. Well, you guys were just so much more advanced. I don't, uh, free fall stuff. When's the last time the Marines did a halo infiltration? Have they, have they done any on the GWAT? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's a good yeah. thing. We don't know. Maybe they, yeah. maybe they did. And we just don't, don't haven't know. heard I mean, about it. Yeah, I mean, all my deployments were, you know, NSW, yeah, uh, on the JSOC task force. So, I mean, mm. the, the guys at NSW have done some. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, I always wonder because you know, I always think about free fall and the amount of money that it turns out. Because like like now, eighteen series guys, SF guys are coming out the pipeline, and new guys are going to free fall school before they come to a team. Yeah. But you only have one free fall attachment. Per co- per company, right. and so those guys will come out, and if they get put on a rup team, they won't be on free fall status. Right. So they're just they got a badge, but they don't have. They're not doing the job. They're not doing the job. Yeah. And so I was always on a free, either a free fall detachment or a sniper reconnaissance detachment, which is a free fall. Yeah, free billet, fall billet. billet. Yeah. And so we got paid, but I never. It's weird because we really didn't work towards doing a jump because there was just not a requirement at that yeah. time, and so I'm like, man, is are we just wasting hundreds of millions of dollars? Part of me is like, if we maybe we invested it more in guns and whatever, free fall I think should exist, but you, yeah. the static line part of it, I'm like, man, we spend so much dang money on on static line proficiency jumps, yeah, and um, qualification and aircraft and fuel. It's like, oh. yeah, you're probably not doing that right. Yeah, as SF team, you're not. No. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, the Marine Corps is always been like really in, in the recon community and force recon they, there was always like a you know free fall platoon that really focused on a lot of training in it but now like in the marine corps is going to right out the right out the training pipeline they're getting they're going through for recon they're going through brc combat dive um sear jump free fall they're showing up their units with these skill sets uh you know this is kind of how the marine corps is moving the seals they do you know buds and then they do do a SQT, mm-hmm. and then they're you know pipelining these schools. They're showing up at their unit with all these skills and MARSOC, same thing. Yeah. So I mean, they you know I think this is one of the benefits of of uh, if there is a benefit of war. Yeah. It's a uh, it's realizing that um, the importance of getting this training out of the way so people could show up at their units ready to do a deployment workup, and uh, and not their deployment workup and not be interrupted by by schools and getting ready yeah. and getting a rotation. Yeah, I always remember my team guys like losing my dudes. I've never had my whole team there at any one given time because half of them were always in school yeah. training. And then when we come together, we'd only come together for a couple of weeks right before deployment. It'd be nice to have qualified guys. Yeah. And we just focus on the job. That's why, I, that's why I'm definitely liking to see these all, you know, across the board and special operations community, these pipeline yeah. pipelines uh, popping up. I mean, it used to be the air force was kind of ahead of the curb with that, with the PJs. Yeah. You know, I remember going to free fall school and seeing like a 19 year old kid in my class. I'm yeah. Like, hey, CCT. How'd you and get PJs, here? How'd you get here? Like, I've been waiting for They knock it all out, yeah. man. It's insane. Yeah. So everyone's doing it now. It's yeah. Good. Hey guys, time for the mid roll break. If you're interested in investing like I've always been, I've always been about investing, but had no idea really what stocks to invest in. There are thousands of stocks to choose from, and it could be very overwhelming. My Wall Street offers a short list of stocks their experienced investors have spent countless hours researching. They act as an investing companion, guiding you on building a diversified and long-term portfolio. With their app, I can invest and learn on the go. Some points 
Unlike a broker, they're an investing companion. They show you how you can invest, what you can, and when you can. Diversification is a silver bullet. When it comes to investing, and my Wall Street makes diversifying easy. And also to incorporate the habit of investing in your everyday life. And that's what we want to do here. It's just not about the short game. It's about the long game. Right now, for all listeners, you could access my Wall Street app for free and use it for 30 days instead of the normal seven. Visit mywallstreet.com forward slash Philcraft. Again, it's mywallstreet, M-Y-W-A-L-L-S-T.com forward slash Philcraft to download the app now and get access to the market. Beating stock picks and expert guidance. After your trial, you continue investing and uh, continue your journey for $9.99 a month. That's My Wall Street, spelled my w a l l s t dot com forward slash Philcraft. Thanks, guys. Back to the podcast. Uh, I, recently, we were talking about it, and I wanted to get your opinion on there about it. So, I don't know if it's a law or not because I'm going to look into it. But pretending like you're a Force Recon Marine or a Marsoc dude is that. One, the community's so small, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a Force Recon Marine on here who's like, who's that guy? And, you know, it's Chad Robichaud. He's a Force Recon Marine. But um, the community's always been very small, especially in the Marines. Like, yeah. most Marines know. I used to contract with a whole bunch of Force Recon guys. Um, most guys know who's who or could talk this one, one voice or one person away from figuring out who is. Yeah, you could... I mean, this this is a topic conversation we had this week. You reached out about the guy, and you know, I just sent a text to six guys in the six different you know in different corners of the recon community, and right away we knew the guy was you know a fake. Yeah, fake. And is that and against the law? I don't think it is. I don't think it is. Mm, that's unfortunate. I think it's against the kind of man law. Yeah, it is against Maybe. the man law. It's my, my some, thing. Some people take it really seriously. Yeah, like, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I had. A, a, you know, in response to your message, if you had a couple of guys that got pretty hot pretty quick. Oh, yeah. And uh, Well, that's how it should be, right? I mean, yeah. one, I think it should be a law. If you impersonate or pretend in whatever capacity it is, because when you do that, you're doing so for the advantage. You're sure. Not, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. you're, try, you're try either the moral advantage or you're trying to get, I mean. Ego status. But the first thing I think about, because this particular uh, person has used their status to excel their position, um, I had a situation where. Uh, a buddy of mine was contracting with a guy who said he was a special operations guy in the commanders and extremist force, which is a very small group of guys. There's only, let me see, there's two, four, six, eight, ten recce teams. So in a special forces group, there would only be um, two detachments of snipers uh, in an entire group, um, which would probably be a handful of guys that were actually sni- real snipers that did it for a living. And, you know, everybody else is, might have the identifier because they went to Special Operations Target Interdiction Course, now known as Special Forces Sniper School. Um, they have the identifier, but they don't do the job. Right. They're not designated snipers, so they don't free fall, hey-ho, halo, rec- do reconnaissance, HPW, all the boring stuff uh, for reconnaissance, and then they actually are snipers. So this guy pretended to be one of those guys in a group of guys that were actually guys, <laughs> and they started. It became. It started becoming um, apparent that guy was lying. Well, the whole time he was telling other people's war stories like they were his own. Yeah. And when it all came out, he was lying the entire time. In fact, the job that he got, which was a contractor position, he got because he lied. 
And so my fear is when I hear a guy say, oh, yeah, I was a force recon guy, and he says it in the public domain, how far has he gone to lie about what he's done in the military? So has he told his employer that he was in special operations yeah. and they all think he is? When he, when he submitted his resume, was that on his resume? Um, did he finagle his DD-214 to make it seem like he right. was that? Because I think about the advantage, and there's a huge advantage in some like law enforcement. If you say you're a special operations guy and nobody questions you, there's a huge advantage. Sure. Yeah, Whether yeah. it's just peer to peer or you're going to end up on a SWAT team. And, exactly. <laughs> yeah. you, you get powers of uh, you know position properly because they're like, oh, this dude's squared away. He yeah. must be because he's special operations. Right. But uh, you know to find out that this particular person is lying, it bothers me, man. Like I, I actually like think about it at night when I'm like not thinking about <laughs> anything, which means it bothers me. I mean, yeah, I think a lot of people too. They, I mean, there's one. There's this kind of blatant where they're completely being fictitious about their experience and this other one where they just kind of like don't say all the details so they say oh uh, yeah i was at you know third force recon or i was at a you know yeah. I was at SEAL team three and, and they were an enabler you know yeah. or a support guy yeah yeah they yeah. just don't give all the details and uh and then i think they start telling the story and then it builds and then they kind of a kind of trapped by their own story it just builds up and builds up yeah and builds up. well if they're vague enough then that's just enough information to get through i just hate I, what i don't like is especially when I know dudes who are in that community and how hard they've worked to get there to yeah. where they're at. And, yeah. and, and then these guys just throw it around like it's nothing. Yeah. Not, not even realize like, number one, why would you do that um, in front of a company that's a special operations owned company, not knowing yeah. that we, we know everybody like it's two phone calls away for you to contact the U S Marine Corps command Sergeant major <laughs> yeah. and, and vet get everything flushed out, you know? Yeah. It's it. it yeah. It took about, took about, Two hours before, you know, I got back to you the next day, but it took about two hours yeah. really to know this guy, particularly wasn't telling the truth. But, uh, I mean, yeah, it's one thing to, I think guys will, saying that to pick up checks is one thing, but saying it to get a, a job is uh, altogether different to gain status and advancement in life is altogether different. What's that dude's name with Haley? He, he knew Travis Haley and he had a gun company and it was it was just big deal man this guy had been lying he made a public apology which i read it and, and wasn't over overly impressed but he had been teaching tactical courses yeah, for like he was, five he's, 10 years. he said he was a recon marine right yeah he said yeah, he was a yeah, recon yeah, marine yeah, and he that. was he was like a like a admin guy or something like that yeah yeah and he, but he was at a recon unit i think and he, yeah, yeah yeah so and then yeah, he perpetuated this lie. But nobody and, and, said and He was anything. a good instructor, too, right? I remember him. Yeah, he was a like, super good instructor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everyone's like, I thought that dude was squared away. And like, uh, yeah. dang. And that's the thing. Like, my whole thing is, it doesn't matter your background. Because if you're in special operations, that doesn't guarantee that you're going to be a good instructor, a right. good tactician. No. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, hell, no disrespect to my, my guys, but I know a lot of guys in special operations that would not make good tactical instructors. Right. Because... They just aren't very tactful or they were barely, barely getting by for themselves. They're barely getting by, and so yeah. it's just it's just not analogous, uh, you know, yeah. analogous to you being successful, being an instructor. But it's like, why lie? Just tell tell the truth, and then be who you are. Yeah. Hey, I'm an admin guy. I was in Force Recon. I did, you know, I didn't do any high speed cool stuff, but uh, I yeah. learned from a lot of cool guys, yeah. and I, and I think I could teach. Yeah. There you and go. People would probably be okay with that. One hundred percent. Yeah. But, um, you know. I see this a lot in the military, but where I see it more, and this may surprise you, is in MMA and jiu-jitsu. I, we, it's, we used to kind of have a laughing thing when we, you know, people would be coming in the gym and they start perpetuating the, their their story about how they 
we're a professional street fighter and basically telling the story oh, of Lion, yeah. Lionheart and, you know, cars being around with the headlights in the middle and how they fought yep. and they fought professionally and all these things. And Cage you know, our, our staff behind them is like looking on sure dog and looking up their record and they're like, yeah, jump on in. And, yeah. uh, I mean, we had a guy come in one time and he said he was like, we, he said he was like 40 and one as a professional fighter and we knew he wasn't, but he kind of touted himself like he had some skills and, and man, he got in a, he got, so we let him in our sparring class and we had this guy in Texas who called him one pace Jace because he was just like violent yeah. and man, Jace like tuned this guy up so bad. I kind of felt bad for him and I was like, he kind of asked for that. You come into MMA yeah. gym and want to do a, a pro, pro uh, training practice with yeah. the pro team and yeah. So What's it, your, so uh, just so you know, Raul Martinez, one of our guys is fighting August um, 9th in Prescott, Arizona and we'll be in his corner. And, you know, give some context for your background in, in, in combatives, but also in fighting, because not a lot of people know about that background. Yeah, I was a you know, professional MMA fighter and um, fought in Strike Force, Bellator, um, won the Legacy FC belt, and 18-2 uh, and two as, a, as a pro. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, also my background. I'm, I'm a Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner, uh, so I've uh, been doing martial arts and, and grappling since I was five years old. Your boy picked it up too, right? Your boy's uh, teaching. Yeah. Yeah, both my boys uh, have a. I mean, they. I started them when they could crawl. Yeah. And they, you know, I know I had Hunter in wrestling when he was three years old. And, yeah. And so he's in Afghanistan right now, and he's uh, he's helping to uh, run the Bagram, the BGJ um, program on Bagram right now. Yeah, um, one of your sons, Rolt, comes in here as a purple belt and rolls me up all the time. <laughs> he always folds He's me. like 120 pounds. He's 120 pounds, man. He's just real squirrely. Can't get a grip on yeah. him. He's just yeah. super fast. Yeah, they've been grappling their whole life, and, yeah. and uh, so yeah, it's it's really been really cool because it's uh, something that we've had as uh, you know fathers and sons, uh, you know, father and son relationship our whole life, and I've coached yeah. coached him in wrestling and um, and then in jujitsu. So it's really cool. Well, people, don't, what people don't understand about what I've realized growing around, growing up around fighters, you know, I've, I've dabbled, but so I'm never considered myself uh, a fighter. Um, but I've always been in combatives. You know, I've always yeah. taken it my entire life. I've always competed in some kind of way, whether it was like modern army combatives or whatever it may be. And but people don't understand. There's a huge gap between being like, yeah, I'm pretty good. Like I, I could roll pretty good, or I could box pretty good. And being an actual professional level fighter, it's just yeah. another level. Like, it's, just, it's just difference of uh, I mean, it's the difference in you and I shooting. I mean, I shot, I, I shoot on courses when I have to shoot, and and I don't do that anymore. But when I did for a living, you know, I'd shoot the courses I have to shoot. I, you know, practice when I can. But you shoot every day because it's like you know part of your hobby in life. Well, I, I do martial arts every day, and I have I'm 43 years old, and I've been on the mats almost every day since I was five years old. Yeah, so. That's should be a difference. I mean, uh, you know, if I'm if I if I could train that much in my life and not be any good at it, then I probably should find another hobby. Yeah. But uh, do you miss yeah, it? I miss I miss fighting. Um, but I'm 43 years old. You can make a comeback, man. <laughs> yeah. Randy Couture was it? How old was he? He Was 45, 47 when he came back? Yeah, like 40. I think 45. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he did well. I mean, would you sure. ever consider coming back to fight? No, not because of uh, inability. Because sometimes I'll spar I'll spar with these guys that are like. They're in the UFC right now. They're 25 years old. And I'm like, I'm going to see how I measure up with them. And I'll just like, you know, no disrespect to them, but uh, like the guys I trained with. Cause, uh, but, man, I, and, uh, I, I not only do well, I tend to dominate uh, guys my weight still. Yeah. And uh, especially in my jiu-jitsu skills. But I also think like it's one thing to do a, a sparring round against someone, but how my body would hold up in the camp, cutting yeah. weight, training every day, preparing for a fight camp. 
So I, I think I'd have to have a tailored camp to where I wouldn't have to push myself as hard as I have in the past. But you know, priorities in life change, and and uh, that was a chapter in my life that that I had. It was a great chapter in my life, but right now I'm just so focused on uh, and and so mission oriented to the work I'm, I'm privileged to do at Mighty Oaks that uh, I believe if I took a fight, it would be a high level opponent, and I I'd, I'd, would have to focus, and it would be very I'd have to be very selfish in order to do well to train because that's what good athletes do. They focus on themselves, and they're kind of become self focused and. And, uh, you know, I have to trade it off for some things in my life, which means, you know, trade it off for the work I'm doing at Mighty Oaks. And I'm just not willing to do that in my life right now. What's, so what's the future for you? I mean, if you have to look at like a five, ten-year plan, do you have any uh, aspirations or visions that you want to uh, achieve? Yeah, in, in mar- I mean, in, for martial arts, I mean, I, when I say I'm not going to compete anymore, I mean, as a professional MMA fighter. But in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I'm a third-degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I plan on training it till I can't or I'm – I mean, probably to the day I die. Uh, so I plan on competing every year um, in, in jiu-jitsu. I, I would compete. I was planning on competing uh, next month in the Worlds in uh, Vegas, the World Championships. Um, but I'm coming off of a shoulder injury, and, and I, it feels better now. But I know if I push to ramp up for the training, I may re-irritate it. So I want to let it heal. And uh, so next year, I plan on doing American Nationals. I did American Nationals two years ago. I won gold uh, in that. And, um, and I haven't won uh, a world championship at black belt yet and, uh, in jujitsu. And so that's a goal for me, um, at the master's level. But, uh, I mean, the master's level is, is, uh, no joke. It's, I mean, in some cases it's probably, you know, tougher than some of the adult divisions. And so, uh, so that's my, that's my goal. I like to win a world championship at black belt level in jujitsu. For, for older guys or gals or just people who are getting into it that just don't think, you know, that's not achievable. Is, is it achievable for somebody to get entry level and then work themselves up to the world championship if they wanted to? I mean, it oh, just yeah. t- obviously takes a lot of commitment. But, I mean, later in life, so many guys are like, you know, I'm already 40. It's like, dude, you're young, man. Yeah, my, my, my buddy in California, um, he's got a big, big white beard, so we call him BJJ Moses. <laughs> he used to be a preacher. <laughs> yeah, that's and, awesome. uh, it's BJJ Moses, and he has a school in, uh, in, in uh, Temecula, California called uh, Carlson Gracie Wine Country. And he started when he was like 45 years old. He had never done anything athletic in his life. I can say this because he's my friend. When he started, he was a slob. Like at fat, 40? At 45. Wow. Fast wow, food, wow. eating, fat, didn't take care of himself, didn't care about his body at all. And he's like, man, I'm getting old. I need to do something. And he's jumped, he jumped into jiu-jitsu. He's won... Uh, I, I would be guessing if I told you, but I mean, he's won so he's won American Nationals, he's won Worlds, he's won Pans, he's won like everything at his belt level and his age level. Um, I mean, and he just, I mean, he crushes it. He just won, he just won, um, he just won American Nationals this year at, at Brown Belt, uh, took took gold there, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I promise he's, it, I'd be really surprised if he didn't win uh, Brown Belt gold at uh, at Worlds coming up. I think he's won gold at either Worlds or Nationals or Pans at every belt level. Wow, and, uh, and he's got his own. He's got his own place right now, right? Yeah, and he he's got he's got his own school. He so he's, he's what was that called again? Temecula, Temecula, California. So there's a couple of Carlson Gracies there. So he runs Carlson Gracie Wine Country, and he came out of the Carlson Gracie Temecula, which is the headquarters for Carlson Gracie. But I mean, you're talking about a guy that started when he's 45. I think he's like he's like maybe 51 right now. Yeah, and he in every belt level he's won, and now he's doing it for a living. He runs a school. 
um man he's like that's amazing man he's 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 like in a second i was i was kind of laughing because i was on his facebook or his instagram the other day and he's like got a shirt open his gi open oh, he's got a six crap. pack he's got a really? six pack like yeah kind of late mid midlife crisis he's going through but he's, he's showing his six pack and i mean I, I you know he's he's pretty proud of himself i mean he's worked really hard that's awesome and uh yeah he just re took retaking control of his life uh and uh man and now he's he's a he's a great instructor and so he's got an awesome kids program yeah, he could uh, he could be the he's like a kids instructor and then doubles up as a Santa Claus uh, for Christmas with that big white beard. Yes, oh, yes. Check great. him out, BJJ Moses. BJJ Moses, yeah. and that's on uh, Instagram, right? Yeah, he's on Instagram. BJJ yeah. Moses. So what about what about the uh, the future personally? You got anything? Any objectives that you're trying to to to, to get knocked out in the next five ten years? Yeah, I mean, for Mighty Oaks, it's just spreading the message of Mighty Oaks far and wide. I mean, we want to reach every single warrior. Uh, the programs we offer, and you, you know this, Mike, but we do totally free. Uh, to active duty military veterans, spouses, first responders. When I say free, we pay for our entire program and we even pay for travel. So flights, wherever you live in the country, uh, just keep broadcasting that message. My, my, my you know, one year, two year, five year goal is to keep pushing that pace to whatever it looks like. Um, uh, my primary agenda right now is to, uh, to see legislation open up within the, uh, for the VA to systemically support faith-based programs for veterans. Um, this was, uh, uh, in, in, in 2004, president Bush instituted this is incredible programs called the office of faith, faith and community alternative programs in 2008, the Obama administration defunded, uh, most of those offices un, uh, unstaffed positions. And for eight years, the, that program went dormant. And in 2016, I was able to ask, I was selected as one of six veterans to ask, uh, president Trump, um, at the time candidate Trump, if he became president, would he, uh, support faith programs back in the VA? And he said yes, and uh, as we all know, uh, it's been an uphill battle. Um, that that uh, I was involved in the campaign uh, in relation to that question, and then General Flynn, after they won the election, General Flynn assigned me to the VA transition team uh, to start that faith initiative. And then w during our first meeting was when he got attacked and uh, ultimately had to resign. And so I white papered the process and had very little contact uh, since then. And so. I just wrote an op-ed. Fox is, Fox is about to run an op-ed for uh, uh, that I wrote. Where are we now with it? And um, and the the answer where are we at now is, you know, an administration that's just have to fight for every single thing they try to do, um, good or bad or whatever. I mean, you know, just Congress is just, you know, just in complete. Um, they I mean, they don't go to work for anything other than obstruction. And so uh, I'm fighting. Uh, a lot of people are fighting behind the scenes to see this legislation come through. Um, and uh, so I'm going to be I was invited twice by two different Congress people to testify in front of Congress uh, to see that happen. So people of uh, people of prayer out there be praying for me to, to, to be able to not only get that platform to, to communicate the right message so we could um, bring this kind of a holistic approach to available to all of our veterans. That's good stuff, man, because, you know, it, it, when people do things like this, the most effective way long term to ensure that we get these kind of programs is legislation you have yeah. to it has to be aligned with a, a government's and a diplomatic move in yeah. order to secure the future because so many nonprofits go out there and they do great stuff but it's just a short-term solution yeah. but if you truly want to have a long-term impact uh, sustained impact and have some continuity along the way you have to take a more diplomatic approach that leads to policy change. Yeah. Um, if, if guys and gals want to check you guys out, uh, check you out on, on the web, on social media, where do you, where do they go? Yeah. I mean, you can find me on social media either Chad Robo show or Chad Robo. Um, um, I'm on all the social media platforms. 
um, from Mighty Oaks. Um, visit our website, mightyoaksprograms.org, and uh, Mighty Oaks, Mighty Oaks uh, Programs or Mighty Oaks Foundation on the social media platforms. You can find us there too. Um, programs for anybody listening that may be interested in the Mighty Oaks program, uh, we do 30 camps a year. And again, there we cover all the costs. So no strings attached. Put in an application. Someone will get back to you. Um, not really a waiting list. And uh, we have camps in California, Ohio, Virginia, and Texas, and we'll get you there. And uh, they're week long, by the way. And so definitely check those out. And uh, if any any military units out there listening, uh, look, looking for some resiliency training, just reach us out to reach out to us on the website, and we'll get out there to you. Awesome, cool, man. Chad, thanks for coming by and uh, doing a podcast with me. Yeah, absolutely, man. Anytime. Yeah, have a good one. 